All right. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I'm Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. Hello. And uh, joining us this evening is Lynn Rymars. She is a uh, author and storyteller here in the Chicago area. Hi, Lynn. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hi. I need a glass of wine. Well, this is Wine and Women in Words, so... I have water. I should have my water. Please feel free to join. <laughs> Here we go. So, just to give everyone a little bit of background, I met Lynn uh, a couple months ago. She was doing a performance as um, Nellie Bly, who is one of my favorite um, women in... Uh, women figure... female figures... I'm on my second glass of wine now. Um, <laughs> um, female historical figures. And um, Lynn has also done Zelda. So since we are doing our month of Zelda, we thought we would invite her to come on our show. Wonderful. So Lynn, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, about what you do as a storyteller? Okay. Um, I have been doing storytelling dressing up in historical women's costumes. I've been doing this since 2005. Um, this journey of mine started out with a woman named Mary Pickersgill in the Star Spangled Banner, and I now have 20 different historical women, and um, I get to bring them to life in front of all different types of audiences, and it's been a really great journey for me to learn about some of the most amazing historical women that I did not know anything about. For instance, I knew nothing about Zelda. <laughs> she came as a big surprise to me. So um, I think she's been one of my uh, biggest surprises for historical women. So Why did you start doing Zelda out of curiosity? I actually, my son got married. Um, I was trying to think about this. Uh, is 2017? Uh, 2014. And he married a girl whose mother um, is from uh, Brevard which is from the Asheville, North Carolina area. Mm -hmm. And she told me that I should do Zelda Fitzgerald. And I just was, I took up her challenge. I said, I love to read, I love to learn, and I wanted to learn about Zelda. So I got Nancy Milford's book um, on Zelda and really enjoyed that, um, finding out about her. I did Z Zelda by Teresa Ann Fuller, who you're going to have next week. And as I started, oh, and first of all, I, I had like about 15 bookings done for the fall, uh, that's that summer, before I even had a script done. <laughs> so, but I just, you know, I've done this before, I've, 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 I've read my material, I write a script, it all works out. But as I was um, learning about Zelda, I really did not like her. I thought she was just kind of spoiled. She did uh, crazy things. I just thought that how am I going to portray this woman? And I just told my son's future mother-in-law, I can't do Zelda. <laughs> and I thought, but I'm already committed to doing it. And I just kept reading and reading and researching. And kind of when I saw that she was a woman ahead of her time in a man's world, she had fabulous talent. She was a dancer, a brilliant writer. She was a painter. And she was really not able to grow into these wonderful talents and passions. That's when I thought that this is the story I want to tell. So that's basically how I crafted her. 
And plus, plus F. Scott stole her words and put them in his books. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, I didn't know about that. People see that, and that's one of the most infuriating things is that, um, what was it, in Great Gatsby, the words that she said about their daughter. Their daughter, you know, I hope that she is a beautiful fool. Isn't she smart? She has the hiccups. I hope she is beautiful and a fool. Yes, a beautiful fool. And he gave those words to Daisy Buchanan, and that was after she had given birth to her daughter, Scotty, and she was kind of coming out of her, you know, somewhat drug state, and he took down those, and she saw him writing some words down, and then he gives them to Daisy Buchanan. I thought yeah, that was doing it without her permission too is yes. like yeah and then he took he took parts of her diary and even the first story that he wrote there was the romantic egotist that he had written while he was at Princeton and then it became um, this side of paradise when mm -hmm. she read it and she saw that the main character Rosalind uh, was very much like her even to the point of having yellow hair and dancing and um, being good with her words and then she saw parts of her diary in there mm -hmm. so, I mean and he did that in in all you know four of his books and it didn't start coming out until what was it? The until her biography that was done was that done in the late 80s? Oh, and he was furious. I mean, it was like after she had done, she started dancing. You know, um, mm -hmm. she started going back to ballet. That was her passion, mm -hmm. and she was spending like eight hours a day. She was the oldest in her class, and she was just really dedicated, determined. She wanted to find her dream. She wanted to find a passion. And then he just began drinking more and more. And I don't think he wanted her to have something of her own. He loved it when she was like the, the woman who was drinking in the life of the party and all about him. Mm -hmm. But what I got from uh, Z was that it wasn't necessarily that he didn't want her to have something of his own, but he needed somebody to worship him. Yes. And he needed somebody to be dependent on him. And that's when the true problems started to happen, when she wanted to be independent or not even fully independent, just from what we see like from a modern eye perspective where she, you know, it's not unheard of to have two writers in the family, a husband and wife who are writers or a husband who's a writer and a wife who's a ballerina to have a career. And I think it was, you know, when, when she started, she actually did have kind of a nervous breakdown when she was, you know, putting all this energy into dancing. She mm -hmm. lost 15 pounds. And I think that she kind of had a, a, a breakdown. And that's when he put her in that sanitarium in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And she was there much longer than she thought. And mm -hmm. after she got out, the doctor and Scott said that she could not dance anymore because they thought that that mm -hmm. is what had caused her nervous breakdown. Uh -huh. and, and then she goes back to Montgomery, Alabama, where her family was, and finds kind of a sense of security there. And, and then he's, he goes to Hollywood to mm -hmm. become a screenwriter during that time. And she becomes right. And mm -hmm. she's a brilliant writer because she's had magazine articles. Though so he signed his name on some of her articles. Yes. And then got more money because it's his name. I thought that was also very bad. Yeah. I, 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 she started writing. I just got to that part in Z where I, I think she sold her first short story. Mm -hmm. But the publisher and Scott both told her, well, you should put it under my name because you'll get more. More money. And and it's just like really <laughs> and the writer in me is like why on earth would you would have sold she would have sold just as much uh, under her name 
I know. And she did sell some under her name. She did make some money. She was feeling good. But if he put his name, she would make even more. And at that time, she wanted more money to be able to pay for her dancing lessons, from what I understood. She wanted a little sense of independence. Mm -hmm. And then when she couldn't dance anymore, then she began to write. And she went to his publisher, Max Perkins, with Scribner's. And she had one of her stories published in one of the Scribner's magazines, which was pretty good. And that's when Scott got angry when he saw that she was using the same material of their life mm -hmm. that he planned to use in his next book, Tender is the Night, too. And the, yeah, I think there was that, that control freak. And I think he was, he was competitive. He was competitive with Hemingway. He was competitive with everyone else. And he was competitive with her. Yes. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it in a nutshell. I really think that and when he does have the affair with Sheila Graham when he goes out, did you get to that part yet? I, I've read I've read Z before okay. already. That's why I'm reading Guests on Earth because I had read I hadn't read Guests on Earth yet and I've actually finished it last week, a week or two ago. And so I don't know. Have you gotten that far, Michelle? Um so I'm at the part but don't don't feel bad about about spoilers because I feel like this is history, so, so okay. it doesn't count. Um, <laughs> usually by this point in a book, I've actually already Googled what's happened at the end so I can prepare myself for what's about to come. <laughs> I think you hit it on the head, and that um, he needed someone to like worship him and need him. And she was having this, finding her sense of independence. And she was a very good writer. They both kept diaries. He kept the thought book. She kept the diary. He he read her diaries. She, at one of the parties, somebody wanted to publish publish that diary as a young girl's diary. He said, no, because I'm finding inspiration in your words. So right then and there, she should have seen something on the wall. Yeah. He goes out to California and sees Sheila Graham. She does pretty much worship him. And mm -hmm. they have the college of one. And he has the syllabus that he's going to, like, teach her. And Zelda really didn't need to be taught. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I love that, um, you know, his his ego was so sensitive. I, you know, I, I'm so basically I'm at the part where they're heading to France. So, um, so they're yeah, about. Yet. I'm sorry? Um, he he wanted to write that uh, play for Broadway. It was called right, the and it bombed. And it bombed. And now they're um, they're five thousand dollars in debt. And he mm -hmm. realizes that he could go to to Paris and live a lot cheaper if they go there. Mm -hmm. So, um, but right before that, that was when um, Sinclair Lewis published his first book, and the fact that Zelda mentions just an off you know off-the-cuff remark that Sinclair Lewis is a successful author in his own right and just out of spite because she happened to praise another author besides him oh. he, he ruined her potential acting career mm -hmm. you he, know what I I didn't even remember that that's really you know what's cool. interesting is that in the series they don't even cover that that's why he ruins her acting career I don't think they did you know, no, they just kind of like glossed over it and made it sound like like that he just wasn't supportive. He it didn't want to go to Hollywood. Yeah. They, yeah they you just, know, I forgot about that. That's an important part. Mm -hmm. And I know that there was um, a conflict between Hemingway and Zelda. You know, yes. Zelda saw through him basically. She called him bogus, like a rubber check that bounced, and he called her crazy. Okay. And I think he was the one that kind of got F. Scott to, to think that, you know, Zelda should be 
in an institution. Well, look at the way he, just wait, Michelle, you think you hate F. Scott Fitzgerald right now? You're gonna <laughs> I'm having like serious <laughs> issues with him right now. <laughs> I, it's been almost a year since I've read Z, and it's taking me about that long to actually pick up a Hemingway story, just any story by Hemingway, even if it's a short story, because I was so angry and so disgusted by him that I couldn't read a single one of his books after I read Z. Really? And when you think of it, that Hemingway wouldn't have gotten the break that he got without F. Scott, because mm -hmm. he got him to go to his own editor, Max mm -hmm. Perkins, and then The Sun Also Rises is, is what um, um, he ended up publishing. But mm -hmm. when, do you remember the part where um, a friend asked what the story is about, and she says, bullfighting, um, bull, bull slinging, bullfighting, and bullsh, and he stops her? <laughs> and, he says, yes. and, and then she's like saying, you know, he's not who he is, and, and F. Scott is still really supporting him, and I think that's kind of also the start of and he liked his women to be in a certain place. I mean, you look at his first wife. Handley, very yeah. Clean, yeah, very plain, very not fit for this world, just very meek. And then he went on to um, the, the was it, I don't know if she was a reporter or she was an editor, his second wife. Because um, what, what he did, four wives? Or, yeah, because it, it was the girl. Yeah, it was the girl who had the, with the sisters, and he picked the one who was um, a little bit more, I think she was a little more on the meek side, but she was slightly more independent and younger than his first wife. And then there was a uh, Gellhorn. And then there was a final wife, a caregiver or something like along those lines. Yeah. Um, Gellhorn was the most advanced of the bunch because she was the most like him, I think in um, attitude and spirit where she was, she he admired that where she would go out and get stuff. But um, it, with him too, if you look at the women, they were there. By and large, they were meek. Uh, they they knew their place, and um, they worshipped him too. Right. And Zelda did not know her place. She was not meek. That was not a word that she used to describe Zelda. She didn't have a place. I think she's yeah. so greatly misunderstood, and I think once I found that she had those great attributes, those talents, and they were pretty much squashed, I really saw that this woman's spirit really was trying to be put into a place that mm -hmm. Zelda tried to fight out of, but she did have that uh, that mental problem, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe she was a bipolar or, or whatever it was. I think she was a wild child. I don't think she was mentally ill, outright mentally ill. I think she was I a wild child, and they tried to break her. They tried to break her. Maybe that's it. And maybe they tried to do different drugs and tried to do different therapy, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what ended up. But I think she went to Hyman Hospital in Asheville to almost find peace, find some kind of a retreat, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what... She was trying to find there. Yeah, it was interesting, like in reading Guess on Earth, to to read that aspect of it. Um, you know, because in Z you've got the beforehand, and then in Guess on Earth you kind of have um, the after effects where she's she's there at the hospital and she's got that structure. Around. And she's not even remotely as wild as she was in in her former life. I mean, she's still a very outspoken character. Yeah. And guests on Earth, but you know she she doesn't swim in fountains anymore, and she doesn't. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Wow. That was and another thing about the series I was so bummed about. That was like my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the book, and they totally cut it out. 
oh, I didn't realize that. But I like the story. But she was fearless. She, she would dive from the highest diving boards. And do you remember when she went to the swimming pool with the flesh-colored one-piece swimming suit on and people said that she was swimming naked in the, in the pool? And yeah. said that she was the town scandal, you know? And it's just so – it's really sad to see when you're reading Guests on Earth that, you know, I, that's the book that I read first. And I would never have gotten that she was as outspoken and as driven and as um, independent as she was based on, you know, how you read her in Guests on Earth. Like maybe a little bit, but not to the degree that she was actually. I was so glad that I found Guests on Earth because I found it just by chance. I was coming home from Denver and I stopped at their bookstore and I found that. And the first page they talk about the fire you know, and, and I knew that I was writing her story because of Asheville. And so I really felt that connection. So it's almost like I took that part of her life and then went backwards. You know, it was piecing together how she died at the age of 48 in this terrible fire. And she had, you know, she was a painter. Have you seen the paintings that she's done? I mean, I've actually never seen her paintings. Have you, Diana? No, I haven't, actually. Oh, like, I, them up. I have one book. You'll have to find um, the book of her paintings. Some of her paintings are um, really almost like a Picasso-ish type of thing, very modernistic. And I heard that in one of the books, her mother, after she died, burned some of the paintings because they were really so um, kind of very ugly. <laughs> They had, um, the women had very big legs, but and they were ballerinas, but that's probably how she felt when she was doing some of the, the ballet. She probably felt like her muscles were tight and big and everything. But then she had some beautiful scenes of, of the cities and of the of the landscape. I just went ahead and Googled it, and yeah, they're some they're they're gorgeous. They're wonderful paintings. And, and she had them exhibited, and then um, once she once she stopped doing dancing, and once she stopped doing writing, because they had such a a, a fight about you know who was going to be able to use those words, and she wrote her fictional character Alabama in Save Me the Walls, and then he ended up using his his character um, Nicole in Tender Is the Night. Again, patterning Zelda, some of the letters that she wrote him when she was in the sanitarium, he said that Nicole was going crazy in her head. And so she knew that he used, again, her life story in his book, you know. Mm -hmm. But then she stopped dancing, stopped painting, stopped um, writing, and then began painting. And that was something that um, um, Scott pretty much accepted because it wasn't now competition. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was out of his realm, so he didn't care about it. Well, dancing would take her away from him. I mean, there was um, you get to a point in Z where they, she talks about going to Italy to be to be a dancer. Mm -hmm. and he was in France, so they would have to be apart, and she would have to be independent from him. So oh, he didn't like her leaving leaving him, and this because he wanted her dependent on him. And then if she was a writer, she would be a competitor with him. Absolutely, but then she has that affair with that French aviator. Well, I don't blame her. Oh, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think that she had that because she wasn't the center of attention in his life. That mm -hmm. he wasn't on the pedestal because he was writing The Great Gatsby at that time. Mm -hmm. and so I think that she would go to, she loved to swim, and then Scotty was with the nanny, and she was actually kind of bored. Mm -hmm. And so she found a man there that happened to really take a huge interest in her. And so, you know, what kind of affair did they, I don't know what their love was really like, but 
Scott and she went kind of had a really big problem in their marriage at that point. Mm -hmm. And then they go to Italy and that's where she takes up some of her painting lessons. Mm -hmm. so we can get to that point, Michelle. I can't yeah, wait to get those texts. <laughs> I just feel so bad for her. Like, and then for so long, she's known as just like, you just a party girl, just, you know, like, yeah. No, no real substance to her up until I mean, this book, Guess on Earth, and then this book, and watching the series Z on Amazon. That was the first time that I really realized that you know there was more to her than just being the wife of F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. I think that's what I, I think her her story is almost. A tragedy in a sense because she had so much potential and who knows, who knows what she could have gone on to do she, she really wanted to continue to write and I think that she could have done amazing things yeah I think you nailed it that was a uh, that her story is a tragedy and so for and for so many years she has been uh, misunderstood where even though the biography came out decades ago almost what 30 years ago now or over 30 years ago um, so dating myself based on the fact that I was born in the early 80s. Um, the, she's been misunderstood for all these years. Like one of my favorite movies is Paris at Midnight. Oh, yes. Love that. But it always infuriates me where that line where um, he's come back from being in Paris in the 1920s and he's like, and Zelda's crazy. And Scott knows it, accepts it, but he can't, you know, do anything about it because he loves her. And it's like, no, she's not crazy. This is just a male-dominated opinion of her. I know, and, I know. And, and it's it's refreshing to see that I think I think Z is really what's done it, where it's casting this different light on her, so she's not quite so misunderstood. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, I like too that she was asked to write a review in the newspaper for his second book called *The Beautiful and Damned*. Do you remember? Which I love that she wrote I that. Have this, I, I have it. I have it down. I don't remember the view. I remember she did it, but I don't remember the view. You have it there? Yeah, I do. It says. Okay. She writes. It seems also that on page one, I recognized a portion of an old diary of mine, which mysteriously disappeared shortly after our marriage, and also scraps of letters, which, though considerably edited, sound vaguely familiar. In fact, Mr. Fitzgerald seems to believe that plagiarism begins at home. <laughs> I loved it. And then that's that's, she passive, that's passive-aggressive wife. 101. <laughs> that's why I think that's why she got offers to write for McCall's magazine, Metropolitan Magazine, and that's when she got her first paychecks and she wrote about the eulogy of a flapper. That's why I, I kind of, when I portray her, I portray her in 1947, the year before she dies, where she's reflecting on her life and her marriage. Mm -hmm. And I say that she has found her, her wonderful um, flapper dress because she was known as the first American flapper that F. Scott, you know, said that she was and is that a little dog yes <laughs> i just noticed it is that cute <laughs> she's a co-host oh, what's oh that's so cute <laughs> but i thought that that was really interesting that she had um she had the guts to write that mm -hmm. and she even told him you know when, when he got home and she told him about the offer and that she wrote this review and she told him well I had to criticize you a little bit because otherwise no one would believe me. Oh, that's a good point. I, I thought about that. <laughs> so I feel like she kind of had to like 
explain to him like I'm reviewing your book so obviously it's not gonna be I'm not writing as your wife I'm writing as a reviewer but right. FYI right, right. Um, there was a point too, like I was thinking of The Great Big Gatsby. I don't know about you, I've re-read it, you know, um, now, later in life, and I just feel that it is such a beautifully crafted book that I don't know if Scott could have written another book as great as that book was. I just... No, and it's, and it's so interesting that it's his, I agree, I think that's his greatest book. Yeah. Um, it's my definitely my favorite and mm -hmm. of all of his and it's interesting because when it was uh, when it first came out it wasn't well reviewed it was considered a failure that's right after his death that it was actually considered his greatest book which one the great Gatsby it wasn't until after his death that oh that's true yeah that's absolutely true well his first book um, this side of paradise sold like 40,000 copies like that first year and they really mm -hmm. went into celebrity mode and that's when they were starting to just buy things. They bought that sports coupe, and she drove it and ran over a fire plug and kind of wrecked the car. And then I remember Daisy Buchanan, you know, ran over a woman. <laughs> yeah. I just can't. And she was, what, she was 19 when they got married. Yeah, right? she met him in 1918. He was four years older than she was. She met him at the country club with her father. So, yeah, 19. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a 19-year-old girl getting kind of like swept off her feet by this, you know, this soldier that from the north that comes down to a small town in the south. Montgomery, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And then, but, but then from like almost the first day that she's in New York, he kind of paints her in a certain light because of that one interview where that mm -hmm. reporter asks, you know, are you, uh, you know, are you the inspiration for Rosalind? And she starts saying no because she doesn't really like Rosalind. She mm -hmm. she doesn't really like all of the characteristics about that character. Mm -hmm. And F. Scott kind of like shushes her and and tells her like, just go along with it. That's what the press wants to hear that oh, that that you inspired me. So from like day one, she was forced into this this image. That's mm -hmm. a good point. Because I know at one point he tells the reporter somebody that he married the heroine of his of his of his stories. Mm -hmm. you know? So he goes ahead and, and kind of admits that. But that's an interesting point. And I wonder if because she had pretty much led, I don't want to say a small Montgomery, her father was the judge of the Supreme Court down there. She kind of was able to kind of do her own thing. And you kind of took her out of that element to New York. I wonder if that kind of created something in her too. I'm sure it did to, to go from from a small town to Manhattan and then to have Montgomery wasn't that much of a small town even back then for Alabama. I mean isn't Montgomery the capital of Alabama? It is, but it, it's not that it's a small town, but it's kind of like a protected town a little bit. Don't you think like her, her dad being, you know, such a, a, a namesake there and um I think she was protected because the the idea that I got from both the show and from um, Z was that they, they were they were they were strict they were traditional. Yeah, she so was a very conservative in the world. Yeah, her dad tried to keep her in line, but she was the baby of that family, and mm -hmm. she kind of like did what she wanted. You know, she drank corn liquor and gin, didn't she? She went swimming. In the moonlight and, and snuck into breakfast the next morning. I mean, she she'd go and she'd sneak out to go to the country club. He'd put her tell her to go to her room and she'd sneak out the window. So, 
she kind of got away with stuff there. Yeah, and she, I don't think she could behave even if she tried. I mean, <laughs> really, when it comes down to it. Um, so when she was doing stuff, you know, not swimming in the fountain or doing, you know, some of those crazy things in New York, mm -hmm. that just really, that kind of gave her kind of a, I don't know. That's the that's the that's the part of Zelda I wasn't too impressed with. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that you know, um, if you look at people like I came from a very strict, very very conservative background on the east in a small up northeast uh, town, um, and it wasn't even small small. It was small compared to like Los Angeles or Chicago. But, um, but I went from there to California to LA when I was eighteen. God bless my dad and my stepmom because I went through a wild child phase, very similar to Zelda. Yeah, where you know okay. you have this, you are certain things are expected of you. You can't wear certain things. You can't do certain things. And I questioned every single moral I was ever taught, um, from stealing his bed all the way up, um, <laughs> just because it was just this whole new world that I was so sequestered from. And so I could kind of see where she went to, where she went from being, you know, as protected as possible, even though she broke the rules with her parents, they tried to protect her. They had all these rules and guidelines around her. Mm -hmm. She got to New York City and there were no more rules. She could do whatever she wanted. But so, we also have to remember the time period is yeah. the 1920s and it was a really big liberation for women. Mm -hmm. Women were smoking, they were drinking, they're now able to vote. And so women kind of went wild. So we're talking about wild women or, you know, badass women. I think that's kind of like what we're almost looking at the time period, you know? Yeah. Where, Actually, that's where, a little bit of a discussion with a, with a relative on this where he was like, oh, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that um, much of a rebellion. There was still women who were still really, you know, uh, sorry, my dogs are running all over the place because they're oh. excited. Because um, he was saying that they were um, really still – cloistered in that there wasn't really much of a li women's liberation during that time. And I was like, but no, it was, we got the vote. Um, you know, maybe in the country towns, it was still very, you know, cloistered, but you go to the cities and, you know, hemlines were going up, mm -hmm. smoking was happening. Women were starting to be able to go out and get jobs and things yeah. and be recognized as artists and writers. And but speaking of, I'm sorry. Sorry, speaking of fashion, I am dying to see the dress that, that she wears to the um, Palais Royale, that black dress that, that the, she describes where it's like backless and it cuts really low down in the back. Oh, yeah. It sounds gorgeous. Yeah. And I really, I don't, the, the series Z on Amazon, it, it cuts the timeline up so much and like jams a lot together mm -hmm. that I can't figure out if we've already passed that point. In I saw just the one, the first one, and I thought the same thing. It was kind mm -hmm. of going kind of too because quickly. I couldn't piece it together. I, I thought mean, she didn't awesome. even get, you know, get the, the Bob haircut until that point. You know, they, they've been married for, for a while and they mm -hmm. had moved out of the hotel. They weren't living in, um, I forget what hotel they were living in at the time. Um, but in the series, she goes and gets a haircut and everything in like the second episode. Mm -hmm. So I can't figure out when it happened, but I really want to see that dress. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's good. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Well. But, and didn't, Lynn, you were telling me this morning that you did a performance of Zelda in Hemingway's house, birthplace in Oak Park. And that, as I was getting ready upstairs in the bedrooms of his house, I just felt like his spirit was like, because he hated her so badly. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, he's probably going to be turned in his grave knowing that Zelda was in his house. Oh, oh my goodness. So what was that like? You got to play Zelda in his house. Oh, did. It was, about, did you do like the same thing as normal or did you change it up a little bit? No, I didn't. No, I, I pretty much did. the. I, I did it just like I did it. But there's a part in, in, in my story where, you know, he's berating her. And I don't know where I got the quote from, maybe Nancy in Milford's book, you know, where he's like saying, you're a third-rate writer, a third-rate dancer, you're a third-rate, you know, third-rate writer or whatever. And, you know, this is my story and you don't have any right, like, to be writing, you know, the story. It's mine. And I just feel this something come over me in Hemingway's, um, you know, house where I just feel like she, what did she feel like when she was just so downtrodden by these men mm -hmm. and just how she tried to still rise above it and still try to you know write her own book and and write paint these beautiful pictures and and make things for Scotty she made her the doll house and the paper dolls and you know still tried to find her own identity and even the theme of Save Me the Walls is a woman's quest for her own identity and that's, that's the theme of Zelda's life. I really want to now, well, I don't know when I'll go back and, and read F. Scott Fitzgerald just because I'm very annoyed with him. <laughs> but, but now that, you know, having read, um, well, you know, I'll finish C soon by Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and you know, having read that, I want to go back and reread some some of his work because I want to see if I can pick up on Zelda's influence in them. Right. I went back and watched rewatched The Great Gatsby. So I've got so many books I need to read and review. It's hard for me to go back and do some of that. Um, but even just rewatching The Great Gatsby and did the Leonardo DiCaprio one, um, you see so much of Zelda's influence now where it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I know. But I think that she sees herself in the books that, you know, we talked about until he mm -hmm. writes The Last Tycoon that he never finished out in California. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't like the the main character, Catherine. And she doesn't see herself in Catherine. It's because somebody else took her place in that book. Yeah, I wouldn't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, to that point, the whole time he was telling her, you know, when they were, you know, they were dating and they wanted to get married. And when they first, when he first brought her to New York, he kept telling her, I'm doing all of this for you. I'm doing this to, to, you know, be worthy of you and to have you. And I feel like he kind of forgot about that somewhere along the line. I don't think he actually ever truly meant it. Or, or that. I think he was doing it because... A lot of it, I think he, I mean, I think he loved being a writer and I think he loved literature. I mean, I give him that. But I think he was pushing for the celebrity status and this fame status for himself because his father was a failure. His father was fired every chance 
every time he turned around, his father didn't hold a, a good job. And he didn't have the finer things in life, and he wanted the finer things in life. So it was almost like he thought he may have been doing it for her. Um, and he tried to tell himself that he was doing it for her, but he was really doing it for himself so that they that they could have the life that he dreamed of. Not the life that Zelda dreamed of, but the life that he dreamed of. Yeah. I think it was interesting um, up until for – for the most part, every time that he talked about any successes that that he enjoyed, it was always, you know, I made it. I did this. I did this. And then when, um, you know, they asked for that um, script from for Hollywood, one of the first ones that, that they asked him to send over, mm -hmm. and he sent it, and then they call back and say, you know, we don't want this. Mm -hmm. And they leave the message with Zelda. And she comes home. He comes home, and she says, "Well, you're you know, you're out of luck. You you can't do it. They they rejected you." That was the first mm -hmm. time that he switched the pronoun, and he said, "I think you mean we we're out of luck. We didn't do it." Mm -hmm. So all point. of a sudden, that's a good point. He can't he can't handle failure or criticism on his own. Any failures he has to bring her into, but any mm -hmm. successes they're all him. But what do you think too? Like. Hemingway um, kind of faulted Scott and he kind of blamed uh, Zelda for taking away Scott's um, uh, dedication for writing. You know, he kind of like blamed Zelda that she's the one that's, you know, causing Scott not to write. But it's really Scott is drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that he was afraid of failure himself, that he couldn't measure up to his own work? Why was, I mean, he was writing a lot of um, magazine articles because that was bringing in money. But mm -hmm. You know, he, he really almost, he didn't write as many books when you think of it. Yeah, that's true. No, he definitely, as far as, you know, he always talks about, you know, writing the next book, writing the next book. and Didn't he write a lot of short stories? A lot. A lot of short stories. But he was making a lot, he was making money on those. I, I don't know. I, I, and I think Hemingway was not very kind to Scott in, you know, some of the things that he then said about Scott later on either. Yeah, no, not at all. I think, well, I think the, um, the after Scott died, when he wrote that book, that quote-unquote tell-all book, yeah, um, I think it was just him acting out the fact that Scott was actually getting more attention than he was. That was a pure temper. I mean, after he died, after Scott died, yeah. yeah. I think that was... Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was a lot of snobbishness, snobbery, um, on what being a, a real author was. Like, if you didn't fit, like, this particular mold, everyone else who, you know, thought that was how an author should be kind of, like, just ripped you apart and told you you weren't a real author, you weren't a real writer. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like... Maybe I haven't gotten to the part with Hemingway yet, so I don't know. I'm I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so I feel like maybe he just he and and Scott were just in different realms as far as what a writer was. Yeah, I find it very ironic that when her book was published with Scribner's with Max Perkins, it was on the same list as Hemingway's book. Um, uh, an afternoon bullfight or something about bullfighting again. So they were on the same list. Isn't that kind of ironic? 
And her book did not get, you know, well-received. Um, but she did have one review that said something about um, Mrs. Fitzgerald's um, manuscript or story rises to Scott's level. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that must have just killed him. I mean, I'm just thinking, because that's kind of what I say as, as Zelda. You know, I wonder what Scott thought about that. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I don't understand why he couldn't, be supportive of her. I, I mean, I, you know, I guess we're saying, was it a threat? Competition? Well, you're also looking at it from a, a 21st century perspective. Yeah, that's that's true, but... You know, we don't, we, I mean, we have competitive spouses. I mean, my husband and I cannot play like, Risk together, and, I, and <laughs> we're too so competitive. Uh, I, I kid you not, divorces have nearly happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but to be so competitive with your spouse like that you we don't have those strict roles that they used to have back then where right. you had the idea that the wife had to stay home that the wife had was the was the one who did the homemaking stuff and then the husband was the one who went out and did all the money making whether they were an artist or you're a factory worker right and scott just took everything away from her i mean even naming their daughter i know she wanted to name her patricia Patricia. He took that away from her, and he yeah. just, he couldn't let her have anything that was hers. Even their daughter had to be about him. I don't think she wanted to name her daughter Patricia, because that would make sense on Guests on Earth, because she called um, Evelina uh, Patricia. She called, she called her Pat, even though her name was Frances Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she, and, but, and she, and Guests on Earth, she referred to Evelina as uh, Patricia or Pat. Uh, Patty Pie Face, yeah. So now oh. it makes sense because now, now I'm connecting the dots on that book too because you know you kind of have this motherly daughter kind of pseudo relationship between the two of them, and now the fact that she called her that, it's like, oh, now yeah. that all makes sense. Oh my god, I hadn't thought about that. That's that's that, I hadn't thought about that. That's yeah. good. <laughs> that's something we're gonna have to ask Lee about next week. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's gonna be really great to be able to see the two of them. Um, on yeah, because yeah, I, I admire both of those books. I I love both those books. Yeah, I they love really you a lot of them. Like yeah. yeah, I just I think it's crazy how she was so. Um, no one knew her at all. Like not even her closest friends really knew what she was about. Right. And I think Scott took great care to making sure that everyone only saw a certain side of her. I know, I know. Which is sad because he's a great writer and he deserves to be remembered for, mm -hmm. for you know the the works that he did. But he wasn't a nice husband. No, he wasn't. No, he oh, wasn't. and if you look at it in the modern context, I mean, how many actresses like Kim Kardashian, for example? Um, how many? You have to wonder how many people around her or how many people outside of her truly know her, how much of that is a crafted mm -hmm. image that either, whether it be her mother, herself, or Kanye crafted for her. Mm -hmm. um, she's a very carefully crafted person. Every, I mean, even her Instagram photos are <laughs> carefully mm -hmm. crafted before they get posted. Mm -hmm. She pays somebody a thousand dollars per photo that they edit. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow, well. And we're, I guess we're doing the same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. people judge her based on the image that she presents 
to mm-hmm. everyone, just like oh. people were judging Zelda. So, mm-hmm. right, right. Well, I think it's so interesting when you asked me to do this. We hadn't talked about um, Zelda. I thought maybe we were going to talk about some of my other characters. And just yesterday, you mentioned how you were both reading the Zelda books, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I thought I could have sworn I did, but apparently not. But that's even better. So I really think that I haven't, I'm going to be doing her again in um, June for a Chicago Art Institute spin-off group. So I'm really anxious to, you know, have them see some of her paintings because mm. that's another part of Zelda that people don't know about. And do you, so when, um, just to give you background, Diana, when I saw uh, Lynn do her performance of Nellie Bly, she like broke down her life into, um, you know, in, into phases and then each phase had a lesson. Aww. So um, it was, you know, when she... Uh, got the the challenge by uh, Joseph Pulitzer to go into the in- insane asylum. There was a lesson there, and then when her husband died, there was a lesson. If somebody tells you something is impossible, prove that somebody wrong. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you do the same thing with Zelda? Do you break it down into lessons like that, no, or is it a I different? Don't. It's almost like the lesson speaks for itself. It's okay. almost like the audience takes away and they see um, how. She had this um, capacity to have great talents and do great things with her life, and that um, it really she wasn't allowed to shine and to develop that because Scott really wouldn't let her. So I think the audience now sees how much he has taken from her life story and incorporated into his books, and that she can't prove to be have her own identity. That's why I think it is so brilliant how she writes Save Me the Waltz and her character Alabama is actually paralleling Zelda's life. It's it's a woman's quest for her own identity and that's what Zelda's life is all about. I have to read that book now. <laughs> yes, yeah. me too. So now you've told us you've, you've done you've done Nellie Bly, you've done Zelda. What other characters do you do? Well, I started out, like I said, I've been doing this 12 years and mm-hmm. the first character I did was Mary Pickersgill in the Star Spangled Banner. I thought that was really an interesting story because her flag is in the Smithsonian and um, it's a a, a treasure that we still have dating back to the War of 1812. And they Mm -hmm. took so many pains and and so much money to preserve it. And that's just a piece of history. And hardly anybody knows who Mary Pickerskill is. And she's the woman who made the flag that inspired Francis Scott Key (laughs) to to write the words to Star Spangled Banner, which we can bring in full circle. Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald is named after Francis Scott Key. (laughs) (laughs) A distant relative in his family. I thought that was really ironic. And I do Mary Lincoln. I did the Chicago Public Library reading tour uh, back in 2009 when Abraham Lincoln's 200th birthday was there. And so I got to present Mary Lincoln in, in a neat way. And plus when I found out that she was put in a sane asylum in Batavia, close by here, and I'd been to that uh, museum and saw where she was put, I thought, wow, such an iconic woman right here in our own backyard, you know, and, and yeah. boy, was she also. Um, you know, the, the fact that her son, you know, got her committed and, and declared insane, and then she was restored to reason. There's just so many stories with all these different women that just um, tell us a story we didn't know about them. You know, even like um, I do Margaret Mitchell, and I tell her story about how she wrote Gone with the Wind, and she was actually parallels uh, uh, Zelda's life. They were both born the same year, 1900. 
And mm. um, Margaret Mitchell died early in a car accident. You know, they both were cut lives short. Both mm -hmm. brilliant writers, and um, I love Julia Child. She's another one I do. Um, I've been doing now. I'm doing um, Eliza Hamilton, and, oh. and, and I have <laughs> had, Hamilton there right here. Oh my gosh! I love. I just have having so much fun telling her side of the story, and so <laughs> I keep finding more women that I I am, am intrigued with. So, and yes. that's Zelda was my greatest surprise, as I told you because I just didn't set out with a good thought about Zelda. <laughs> I really have come to admire her, probably the greatest out of all the characters I do. So. You know, and I love, that's one of the things I love about history and historical fiction too, is that you really find yourself connecting to the characters. Right. Um, Z really helped me connect with Zelda. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, on my blog, um, my blog's create, called Creating Her Story. Um, oh. For the month of April, I do um, April A to Z. So every day, I'm doing a bio on different women based on alphabet. Um, now, can I ask you? Because I haven't met you now. How have the two of you connected? How do you have this um, wine and women, and, and how long have you had it? <laughs> we will be one year in, in June. Michelle and I, um, we work together in a call center, a timeshare travel agency, where we would book the reservations for people who own timeshares. And we worked, she, I worked for the company and then left them up to Texas for a couple years and then came back. Mm -hmm. um, I like to call that my exile. My husband was stationed there. Okay. Uh, Texas does not fully agree with me. I'm too much of a California girl. Mm -hmm. um, and so we came back and I went back to work for the company and Michelle retrained me. And then we worked in a cubicle next to each other and we both loved books. And it got to a point where we just, we bonded over books. We shared books. Mm -hmm. um, there are points and I think I've told it on the podcast before, but where she'd hand me a book at 8 AM and I'd hand it back to her at 5 PM cause I'd finished it. Wow. Cause I'm just, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I just, I eat, I eat, eat eat books, literally. Um, <laughs> so I, I can really go through a book. Um, and so yeah, we just kind of built a friendship up over that. And then Michelle came up with the idea for Wine, Women, and Words. That is so cool. And she, and we, whenever we do stuff, it's a matter of, it's mostly me going, hey, I've got this bright idea. You're doing this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, that's what happens. So oh. when she, she approached me about this and she's like, I've got this bright idea. You're doing this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do you even need to ask? <laughs> well, this is really a neat, um, um, I think, a neat forum to be able to, uh, you know, discuss things that people don't talk about. And it's a lot of fun when we when we do get, um, you know, guests that come on the show that are mm -hmm. as passionate about reading and history yeah. and whatever. Like, you know, a lot of is. <laughs> um, it's you know when you when you make that connection with someone and you find out that you both share a passion about something, mm -hmm. it's like the spark instantly like ignites the conversation, and I I love watching that happen. Well, I I I, I so enjoyed um, talking with you quickly when we were when you were interviewing me about Nellie Bly because I could tell that you you know understood you understood the story and you had done your homework also so you knew about her and it was really fun to have a like-mindedness you know with somebody 
who cares about what you care about. So oh, definitely, it's always fun to to find someone who speaks your language and, yeah. and lives yeah. in your world. Now, have you are you interested in Hamilton? Have you? Seen? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I haven't seen the play yet, but I read the book by Ron Chernow. Um, mm -hmm. that inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda to write the play and he's so passionate about the book and 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 getting the the story of our early founding fathers it, it's just the book is amazing so There's a book that came out last a couple weeks ago actually no last week um, and it's Alex and Eliza and it's the their love story in historical fiction form and it just came out Huh? Is that the title of it? Yeah, Alex and Eliza, and it's historical fiction. Okay. Uh, it's about the romance between the two of them. Because I have, a, I have a novel, and I don't know if it's um, I don't know if it's that one. I'll have to look for that because that's how I tell her story. Mm -hmm. I am Eliza, so. <laughs> so now let's venture into Hamilton a little bit because I love Hamilton. Um, it intrigues me because it covers it in the musical where um, she takes herself out of the narrative. She burns his letters. Yeah, that's true. And then um, in the, oh, wow. yeah, in the musical, you know, they, they ha she has that moving uh, song that I can't even sing along to without crying. The one where um, her son dies? No, the burn, where she's actually in the musical, where she's singing, where she's taking herself out of the narrative. Oh, you know, I haven't seen the play yet, so and I did not want to see the play or read some of the things until I had written my script and I had gotten my own understanding of what Eliza was going to be like. So I don't know of that. So I don't know. I haven't been able to see it yet. Yeah. Um, it's on my, on my goal list. Um, I can't see it this year because we actually have a trip to France planned in the fall. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. When it comes to L.A., but it's coming to Orange County in the spring, so I'm hoping I can see it then. Okay. Uh, but in the mu in the musical, there's actually a scene. Um, it's actually a musical number because I've I've got the the soundtrack pretty much okay. organized. Um, but there's actually a musical number called "Burn," where she's taking her she's going through the process of taking herself out of the narrative, where she's burning his letters, every letter that he wrote, and mm -hmm. she's processing his affair. And how it ruined their lives, and you know, since you're you're playing her, I was wondering what your take on that is. Why she might well, have taken herself out of that narrative, and well, and and when I tell her story, I tell it kind of, I kind of tell it going backwards. I tell it from 1815. He's died in 1804, mm -hmm. so I tell it that her sons. He would have been very proud of the three sons that have served their our country proudly during the War of 1812 and have really followed in their father's footsteps and I kind of been reflecting on what his legacy is going to be because she lived to be 97. She lived 15 years after he died mm -hmm. and she spent the rest of her life literally making sure that history kept his role in the in the founding of our nation and the importance of him forming this new government when he had those powerhouse men Jefferson and Adams and Madison who really scoffed at his ideas and didn't think that he could you know form this government the way that he was and yeah, Adams called him a Creole bastard <laughs> yeah yeah and you know I had a really interesting um, uh, question the other day um, I felt somebody asked me if I thought that he would have been president. Okay, mm -hmm. and 
he's really the man behind our central government and forming, you know, getting our country out of debt and, and helping to get the U.S. Mint and, and you know, just forming a lot of the, we're going to be a manufacturing society and not a, not a society of farmers. And um, so this person asked me, do you think that Hamilton would have been president? I says, well, you know, he should have been next in line after, mm -hmm. you know, Adams and, and Madison and or Jefferson and Madison. And, you know, but I said he had made some enemies, whatnot. And so I'm not sure if he would have. And then somebody said, well, he couldn't have been president because he wasn't a natural born citizen. And I said, but, but he was a citizen. Mm -hmm. well, you have to be a natural born citizen. Yeah. Okay. Because he wasn't even, because they didn't have the... Well, they didn't have the Constitution yet, so I mean, he, they time, didn't have the Constitution. Oh, I mean, by the time that he immigrated into the into the country, they did have he it. He was there before the Revolution. He got there in 1772, so he was part of the Revolution. But uh -huh. what is so interesting is that he wrote all the Federalist Papers that was trying mm -hmm. to to explain the newly written Constitution that Madison had written, and also that that Hamilton had a part of. You know. Mm -hmm. So I went home and I found in the Constitution that was written in 1787 that it says uh, the qualifications for president is that you have to be a natural born citizen or you have to be a citizen and you have to be at least 35 years old and you have to have been in the country for 15 years. Hamilton was in the country for 14 years and he was a, and and um, and he was 30 years old. So he could have, he could have at the time of the writing of the Constitution he could have been president. Mm -hmm. Could have. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. In the musical, they talk about um, the affair being a major ruining factor. Well, so, well she affair. still stayed with him, though. And yeah, she still well, stayed with him, yeah. And she still had children after the affair, even. Mm -hmm. But um, the fact that he wrote about it so publicly, mm -hmm. and I think, though, he spent the rest of his life, though, he built them a house. I think that he showed how much he loved her. He wrote mm -hmm. about, you know, he said, you were the best of wives, the best of mothers, the best of women. I mm -hmm. think why not? Yeah, I mean, who, what woman wouldn't be crushed by? Well, I think that, but I'm, I'm thinking, thinking that at the time, at the time, that would have ruined his chances for presidency. Because they talked about that being a, a ruining for him not being able. He went, He wouldn't have been able to win a, an election based on that. Which is funny now, considering the fact that I mean, who we have in the in the presidency exactly. now um, is or really how funny how funny Jefferson was had a, had 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 a relationship with Sally Hemings and fathered several children, and that yes. was public. Well, that um, they try to suppress that. There's an interesting book that I just actually listened to, um, First Daughter, which is about his from his the historical fiction based on his daughter's perspective. Jefferson's Jefferson's daughter's perspective oh. going through, um, and it's interesting when I uh, base because I read these books and I'll go and I'll do research. Um, they kept the family itself kept denying it, and they kept saying it was a um, another relative that oh. fathered the children. Oh. They, they wouldn't admit that it was Thomas's children until, and even the um, huh. Thomas's grandson, who was a Civil War general for the um, for the South. Uh, denied it and said it was like an uncle or something like that who was her her parents. It wasn't until later on, oh, okay. um, long after he'd been president, that they said, yeah, yeah, it was his. And they had to actually do DNA tests. Yeah. And that to actually prove it. But there was scandal that came out in the pamphlet that mm -hmm. actually did talk about suspicion of him fathering the Sally Hemings 
because she had gone over with him to Europe and there was mm -hmm. talk about so I don't know there's yeah, also there was there's so much scandal so back much. Then. yeah so much but I really have found the Hamilton story really really one of my top stories I think the whole founding of our nation is just so amazing it is and it's compelling and I think Hamilton is one of those ones that are overlooked he's overlooked because he's just that guy on the $10 bill who created the bank did you know anything about, I, I, I didn't know anything about Hamilton yeah until the play came out and now I'm just like oh my god he had such a he had his, he was such a force he was yeah he, he was a visionary he had a mind he had a very very yeah anyways that's what's fun about doing what I do I get to research and discover and bring to life uh, stories that maybe people didn't know about and that's mm -hmm. what I feel about Zelda. Mm -hmm. uh, people, you know, get to see a whole different side of her that they didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And I do get to talk about the books I've researched, and I, I love Z Zelda. So I, I'm, I'm going to be really excited to hear uh, Teresa Ann Fowler. I'll have to tell her that I have her, her book listed on my book list for people to read along with <laughs> us uh, here on Earth. Oh, cool. <laughs> so this just was just a, a, a fabulous time that I got to talk about those two books too. With yes. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on. I'm sorry we had some technical difficulties at the beginning, but oh, I'm glad yeah. we sorted it out. We sorted it out. You're brilliant. <laughs> you are both, you're just both charming and I really have enjoyed this chat with you. So I hope others can be inspired to learn a bit, little bit about stories that they didn't know about. So. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I had such a good time with you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.